How many of you want the Lord to be lifted high in your life, but also in the life of others, people that you love? That's your heart this morning. Can you put your hands together? God, ahead of myself, but the, the, the better we see God, when we, when the, the clearer that we see him, the, the higher that we see him, that's what changes our lives. That's what gives us faith to pray. That's what gives us the desire and the hunger to, to live for God. Uh, that's what allows us to see ourselves rightly. How many of you know that if you don't see God rightly, you, you, you're not going to uh, see your need for God, for God's grace, for forgiveness of sins? What a beautiful song. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 6, the Bible says that Isaiah saw God high and lifted up. And that changed everything for him. Uh, before that, he was, as a prophet, he was saying, woe to this and woe to that. But then when he saw God rightly, he said, woe is me. I want to exhort us uh, this morning to really listen for what God is saying, to see you rightly. Let's uh, preach a message today on, 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 on prayer. Okay, pastor, you know, we heard that. We, it's, we, we, need, we need to pray. But I'm, but I'm praying, I've been praying that, that this message is going to stir us to pray today. That we're going to see our need for God in a way that we cry out to him and, and cry out for his grace. Not only for our lives, but for, for the lives of others. So, so as we're going through the message, ask God to help you to see him rightly and to, and to respond the way he would have you to respond. Amen. We, we want to spend some time praying today. Uh, and so I pray that, uh, that your heart will be stirred. Philippians chapter 1. If you have a Bible, turn it with me to Philippians chapter 1. As, as many of you know, we are in a series through the uh, book of Philippians, Paul's epistle, Paul's letter uh, to the Philippian uh, church. Did uh, you bring your little book? Everybody? Who's got their book? If you have your book, wave it up. Okay, a lot of you have your books. That's great. Uh, praise the Lord. We, we pass out those books so that you can be really intentional about this series. Uh, write down uh, what God is saying to you. Take notes uh, uh, as you hear from God when the Word of God is uh, being preached. Philippians chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 3. I thank my God, Paul writes, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for, for you all, making my prayer with joy. And I have to insert this. Keep in mind that Paul is writing this letter from where? From a prison. And his heart and that is filled with joy as he's praying for us. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. How many of you are familiar with that verse. If you are, raise your hand. Raise your hand. A lot of you have, are familiar with that 
passage of Scripture. Uh, in fact, uh, Philippians is a very well-known epistle. It's, it's one of, it, it, for many Christians, it's a favorite book of theirs. Uh, Pastor Lucas talked about, last, talk, talked about this last week that, that a lot of the bumper sticker uh, verses come from the Philippians, right? I can do all things through Christ. Uh, and you know, sometimes familiarity with something, as one person said, breeds contempt. Sometimes because we're familiar with something, we think, well, you know, I know that already. Don't have that attitude as we go uh, through the book of Philippians. Uh, pray that the Holy Spirit will give, give you fresh insights, uh, even, in the, even uh, uh, for the verses that are familiar to you, like, uh, like uh, he that began a good work in you will bring it to completion. One of the things that I want us to notice today about this, this promise, this promise of God that, that he who, who, who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, it's in the context of prayer. That that. that promise came to Paul's mind as he thought about how he was praying for the Philippian believers. Keep that in mind because it's very, very important uh, to, the, to, the, to today's message. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in, the and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and, and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What a prayer. What a heart that Paul had for the Philippian believers. Let's bow our heads this morning. Oh, Father, it's our prayer this morning that we will see you high and lifted up that we will see you rightly as we look into your word. And then, Father, as we see you rightly, help us to respond as your glory deserves. Can I get a witness this morning? Help us to respond to you, Lord. Stir up in us a heart for intercessory prayer. Teach us. God, as you... As Jesus taught his disciples when they asked them, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray this morning. Do, do a work in our hearts by your spirit, oh Lord, that, that moves us, that, that helps us to understand our need for prayer. That gives us faith and confidence to pray for one another. Oh God, help us to see the power of intercessory prayer this morning. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. After decades, decades of successful ministry, of seeing thousands come to Christ, someone asked uh, Charles Spurgeon to give an account of his tremendous 
success in ministry. You know, many of you know he was a great preacher, a powerful preacher. His sermons, hundreds of them, are still read today. How many of you have read Spurgeon's sermons? They're, they're powerful. They're encouraging. Uh, his, uh, uh, his work continues to bless many today. Well, he was asked once again, he was asked to give an account for his tremendous, tremendous success in ministry. And without hesitation, Charles Spurgeon responded, my people pray for me. My people pray for me. If it is true that the success of a minister is closely tied to the prayers of the people, can, can it also be said that the, that the success of any church is closely tied to the prayers of its leaders? Can I suggest you, suggest to you this morning that the key to a growing, healthy church has less to do with strategic planning and slick programming than it does with godly leaders interceding for their people. This is what's happening in Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. A godly leader is, is sharing his heart, is revealing his heart, about how he prays continuously for the, for the Philippian believers. We're going to see uh, from our text this morning, we're going to see an example of, of Paul's understanding of the necessity for intercessory prayer. He knew, brothers and sisters, Paul knew that there was power in intercession, intercessory prayer to bring physical deliverance. Because it happened in his life as others pray for him. But he also knew the power of intercessory prayer and, and bringing spiritual growth to other believers. Let me ask you this morning, have you ever thought of that? Do you understand that the intercessory prayer is not just about, you know, I need a job. Brother, can you pray for me because I need a job? You know, um, uh, our, brother, our brother Jael. Um, just got a new job. And he knows that it wasn't answered to prayer. And we should be praying for one another about those things. I was praying for him. He texted me, can you pray about this? And I did. I interceded in prayer. But listen, intercessory prayer is not just about physical things, physical healing, finances. It's about spiritual growth too. We need to be praying for one another for our spiritual growth. And that's what we see in our text. In fact, uh, the epistles of Paul are, are filled with examples of how he prayed for the church. And the focus of those prayers often have more to do with spiritual things than physical things. And I pray that we see that this morning. Here's the main uh, idea of the text. Spirit-filled intercession seeks the fruits of righteousness which come through Jesus to the glory and praise of God. And to unfold this theme, we're going to examine from the life of the Apostle Paul what spirit-filled intercessory prayer looks like. What spirit-filled intercessory prayer looks like. First, first, first of all, we're going to see from Paul's letter to the Philippians that spirit-filled intercessory prayer starts and ends with praise to God. It starts and ends with praise to God. And we're going to see that in just a moment. But before we do, I, I, want, I want to 
say a word about uh, the term that, I, that I'm using, spirit-filled intercessory prayer. Uh, what does it mean? What, what do I mean by spirit-filled intercession? And why am I using that term? You know, Paul, who, who, who teaches in other places that we are to pray in the spirit, uh, he teaches that uh, in his epistle. Uh, and if he taught that, there's no doubt that uh, when he prayed for the Philippian believers and the way he was sharing with the Philippian believers how he prayed, no doubt that was in the spirit. Amen. He prayed in the spirit for the Philippian believers. And so if that's the case, then we should be carefully studying this prayer. Because this is a, a spirit-filled prayer. Amen? And let me say it again. We are told in the scriptures that we are to pray in the spirit. We are to pray in the spirit. And can I tell you this morning, praying in the spirit is the only kind of prayer that God answers. How many of you would admit this morning that there's been times where I've prayed in the flesh? where I was just going through the motions. I confess this morning there, there are times when, when I've been praying and, and, and I ask myself, man, what did I just say? I don't even remember what I just said. Is that praying in the Spirit? No, that's not praying in the Spirit. Let me say it again. The only kind of prayer that God answers is prayer in the Spirit. Spirit-filled prayer. That ought to wake us up this morning. Amen? Spirit-filled prayer. How many of you can tell the difference when somebody's praying in the spirit or praying in the flesh? You know, I, I get discouraged sometimes when I hear people praying so casually, almost yawning. Oh, Lord. Oh. Uh, thank you for this day. Uh, and they kind of say that because they, that's just the first thing they think about. You know, thank you for this day. There's no heart behind it. You know, I heard someone say that it's better to pray prayers with heart and no words than with words and no heart. Spiritual prayer is not just about the head and showing people how much we know about God. Spiritual prayer comes from the heart that's yearning for God to work mightily in our lives and in the lives of others. Amen. What does it mean? To pray in the Spirit. Spirit-filled prayer is Spirit-led prayer. Spirit-filled prayer is Spirit-led prayer. Once again, which is the prayer that God answers. The only prayer that God answers. Notice that Paul wrote to the Philippians that he prays for them every time they come to his remembrance. He says in verse Three, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, making my prayers with joy. So every time he remembered them, every time they came to his mind, and it appears that it was often, he prayed for them. He, he prayed for them. Has it ever occurred to you that when someone comes to your memory, it could be that the Holy Spirit is prompting you to pray for that person? Amen. You know, this is one of the ways that we can obey Paul's exhortation to pray continuously and, and to pray 
without ceasing. Every time a person comes to your mind, even, listen, even when accompanied by negative feelings, pray for that person. Pray for that person. And listen, you don't have to be on your knees and you don't have to close your eyes to do it. Especially if that, somebody comes to your mind when you're driving. Don't close your eyes. Have you ever been tempted to do that? I have. <laughs> don't do it, right? Don't close your eyes. You don't have to. If you're driving, somebody comes to your mind, pray for that person. It could be the Holy Spirit leading you and, and prompting you to pray. You know, this morning, I could barely get out of bed. I, I had no energy. Really, I, I had no energy. And as many, many of you know, I'm still recovering from surgery. And I just, I just had no energy. I, I felt so weak. And I stayed in bed a little longer. I usually come into the church about 7, uh, uh, 8 o'clock in the morning. And, but I, I just I couldn't get out of bed. And then I got this, uh, this, this attack of pain. I'm not going to get into all the stuff that's happening in me. God's brought me a long way. And uh, in June, they told me I had terminal cancer. Now I don't have any cancer in my body. Amen. God has brought me a long way. But I, I'm still recovering. I still got some hurdles to, uh, to, to, to climb uh, uh, by the grace of God. And I, I, I was feeling some pain. I mean, some serious pain. And, and I had this thought. I'm telling you, I had this thought. Oh, Lord, I pray that somebody's praying for me. That's how I said it. I pray that somebody's praying for me right now. And as, and as soon as I said that, the pain subsided. And there was a text message. I mean, instantly. And it was Scott, the pilot. Some of you know who he is. He says, Marco, I'm praying for you right now. I'm praying for you. That was the Lord, amen, bringing me into his, into his memory and the Holy Spirit prompting him to pray for me. And, you know, right after that, I was ready to get out. I was able to get out of bed. And in fact, I had a little skip in my step. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. In addition, spiritful prayer, listen, is not only inspired by the Spirit. Spirit-filled prayer is not you praying in the flesh. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Amen. But, it, but, it, but it's also informed by the Scriptures. Spirit-filled prayer is inspired by the Holy Spirit. But it's also, brothers and sisters, informed by the Scriptures. In other words, the Holy Spirit is never going to prompt you to pray something that's outside of the will of God as revealed in the Word of God. Amen? That's why I always encourage people, pray with an open Bible. Amen? Because the Holy Spirit loves to use His Word to stir us to pray. Amen? To stir us to pray. I remember sitting with somebody who was married and... and, and contemplating divorce, and, and, and he said, you know, I've been praying about it. Well, you've been praying about the wrong thing. <laughs> Amen? You don't pray about whether you should get divorced or not because the Bible is clear about it. Amen? The Bible was clear that he was to seek God and, and seek God's grace for his marriage and seek to be the godly man that God wants him to be. And then he went on to tell me, after he had been praying about it, that God had spoke to him about divorcing his wife. I said, that wasn't God. 
Amen. That wasn't God. The Holy Spirit will never lead you to pray something that's outside of the will of God as revealed in the Word of God. Somebody say amen this morning. Furthermore, furthermore, spirit-filled prayer, which is inspired by the Spirit and informed by the Word, also seeks to incline one's heart to the will of God. We see that over and over again in the recorded prayers of Paul in his epistles. Spiritful prayer seeks to incline your heart to the will of God. You're not trying to, to, to get God to do your will. Amen? That's not what spirit-filled prayer, spirit-filled prayer looks like. It looks like your heart inclining to what God's will and plan is for your life. Somebody say amen this morning. Now, with this in mind, notice that Paul... Notice that, as Paul, notice that as Paul gives believers a glimpse into his Holy, Spirit, his, his Holy Spirit-filled prayer life, he begins with, I thank my God. I thank my God. The first thing that Paul did in every prayer of his on behalf of the Philippians was to thank God for them. Brothers and sisters, thanksgiving to God is a, a vital element of praise and, and worship. It demonstrates your gratefulness for God and, and all that he's done in your life and, and in the life of others. It, it, it acknowledges, thanksgiving acknowledges that you know that God is the giver of all good things. Somebody say amen. In addition, praise and, thanks, praise and thanksgiving brings us into the presence of God. The psalmist writes in Psalms 104, uh, enter his gates with thanksgiving and, and into his courts with praise. Amen. Praise and thanksgiving brings us into the presence of God. Prayer that begins, listen, prayer that begins and ends with praise and thanksgiving is prayer that tends to be God-centered and, and not man-centered. You see, effective prayer is the response to seeing God rightly. It worshipfully Worshipfully acknowledges who God is and thanks him for all that he's done. How many of you know that when we see him rightly, when we, when we see God rightly, our prayers will have the, the right tra trajectory. We will seek first the kingdom of God and, and not the kingdom of man. It's so important that when we pray, and, and, not, and this won't be the case all the time. I mean, there will be different situations where you pray, God help me, right? Have you ever prayed that way? God help me in different situations. But listen, generally speaking, spirit-filled prayer starts and ends with praise. And we're going to see in, 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 in future messages, uh, like uh, where Paul says in, in Philippians chapter 4, 4 verse 6, uh, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. Why? Why thank the Lord? Because how many of you know when you start thanking the Lord, I mean, even if you have a, a burden on your heart about something, but when you start with worship and when you start with praise, then your perspective changes. And oftentimes the trajectory of your prayer changes when you start with praise and thanksgiving. Can I get a witness this morning? Someone said that fear will turn to faith when worry turns to worship. 
start with praise and, and thanksgiving. Secondly, spirit-filled prayer is prayer that not only seeks first the kingdom of God, that not only starts with praise and, and thanksgiving, but also stands on the promises of God. Why is Paul, thank, why is Paul thankful to God for the Philippian believers? He writes, beginning in verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Remember, he's telling them how, he's revealing to them how he prays for them. Every time he remembers them, he prays for them. He's thankful to God for them, to God for them. Why? Because of their partnership in the gospel. Because he, have, because he was sure of this, that he who, who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul, who labored in prayer for them, saw firsthand the work that God was doing among them in the spread of the gospel. And, and, and we know that this was true from the very beginning. If you, if you recall from last week's message, we learned that the Philippian church started in a prayer meeting. It started in a prayer meeting. And, and two individuals, Lydia, a, a woman who was a, a worshiper of God, and the Philippian jailer, both of them responded to the gospel. And if you recall, they invited and they asked Paul to come to their houses where he continued to share the gospel and, and both the household of Lydia and the household of the Philippian jailer came to Christ and they were all baptized. That's how the Philippian church started. And Paul saw that firsthand. He had a front row seat to the work of God. And, and listen, that early church was supportive of Paul. They were partners with Paul in the, in the, in, in, in the gospel. Paul was absolutely confident that the church would continue to grow and thrive. Why? Why was he so confident? Why was so Paul so confident? He knew that the growth of the church was undeniably a work of God. He knew also that because of the promises of the gospel that the Philippian believers were God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And he was confident that the work that God started in this church, he would complete. So now with that in mind, let me ask you, if Paul knew that God, according to his promises, would finish the work that he started why did he intercede in prayer for the Philippian believers every time they came to his remembrance? Now, let me apply this to us. If God promises to do something, and there's all kinds of promises in the Bible to us, if that's the case, then why pray? For example, in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19, there's a promise, and we'll get to it in future messages. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Is that not a promise of God? So if that's the case, should we pray for, for God's provision in our lives? Should we pray for a job if God promises that he will supply our, our every need? 
You know, some people think that because uh, God made the promise that there's no need to pray. But brothers and sisters, that's not the case. Somebody say amen. The promises of God should never be a reason for us not to pray. On the contrary, they ought to be the main reason and motivation for why we pray. Amen. They ought to be the main reason for why we pray. When we pray, we should stand on the clear promises of God and, and claim the promises of God that are to us. And that's so important. In addition, we should never think that because God is sovereign, meaning that he is fully in control and that his purposes will be fully accomplished, that there's no need to pray. I know people that actually struggle with this. If God is sovereign and his purposes will always be established, then why should I pray? What difference will my prayers make? Can I tell you, that's a, that's a distorted view of the sovereignty of God. If your view of the sovereignty of God leads you to think that I don't need to pray because it's not going to make a difference, then, then it's distorted. Somebody say amen. God's sovereignty, listen, God's sovereignty and the fact that what he ordains is what will come to pass is our incentive to pray. Amen. In Exodus chapter 32, the people of God had sinned against God. God had delivered them out of Egypt and they were in the wilderness and if many of you, and those of you know the story, when God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, it was with a, it was with a strong and mighty hand. But, but when they encountered some problems, the people of God in the wilderness, they, were, they forgot God's promises. At one point, they began to construct an idol to worship. And as a result, they had incurred the wrath of God. And God tells Moses that, that he's going to wipe them out. Are you listening to me? In Exodus chapter 32, God tells Moses because of the sins of the people, because they were worshiping a, an idol while Moses was face to face with God on the mountain. God told Moses, listen, your people are messing up. Your people are in sin. And I'm going to wipe them out. But he also sends Moses to them who is their mediator and a type of Christ. And Moses knows that, that God is holy and, and judges sin, but he also knows God's purposes and promises to, to provide a, a mediating means to cover their sin. So knowing these things about God, he begins to intercede, intercede on their behalf. God said, go to, 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 to my people because they're, they're sinning. I'm about to wipe them out. And knowing what he knows about God, Moses begins to intercede. And listen to, listen to how, he inter, how, how he intercedes for them. He stands on the promises of God. In Exodus 32, verses 13, we read, this is, this is Moses' prayer. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And verse 14 says, and the Lord relented from the disaster that he has spoken of bringing on his people. The power of intercessory prayer. Moses' prayer 
was inspired by the God who sent him to deliver his people, and it was informed by his personal knowledge of God. And it's what he, listen, it's what he knew about God that determined how he prayed and gave him the confidence to pray. In fact, it gave him the confidence to audaciously hold God to his promises. In Psalm 119, this verse is not on the screen, but I want you to look at it this morning. In Psalm 119, in verse 49, Psalm 119, verse 49, the the psalmist writes this, remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. Remember your word. What's the psalmist doing there? He's praying. How is he praying? He's standing on the promises of God. He's holding God to his word. Have you ever prayed that way? Lord, your word says, Lord, you spoke to my heart, and you called me to be the pastor of Midwest Bible Church. And although I'm going through some things right now, Lord, you called me, and you promised that where you guide, you will provide, amen, that you will provide by every need. Lord, remember your word unto your servants, amen. Some people think, man, that's kind of a, an irreverent way to pray to God. No, God delights in it, amen. He delights when we have such confidence in his character that we hold him to his promises and we hold him to his word. Remember your word unto your servant in which you have caused him to hope and trust. That's how Moses prayed. He prayed standing on the promises of God. Remember, he said, remember your promises to Moses. Regarding Moses' intercessions, David Platt gives this powerful insight, and we'll have it on the screen for you. Moses knows God is in control of all things. And this does not make prayer meaningless. God has chosen to make prayer the powerful means by how we effectively change the course of history. The story of Acts is almost, in almost every chapter is that the church is praying, and God changes the history of the world. God has not called us in prayer to watch history, but to shape history for the glory of his great name. We are not saying God is an impotent king waiting for us to pray. No, we see God wills. God ordains to work through willing intercessors. When we pray, God responds, and we participate with him to accomplish his purposes. What effects, brothers and sisters, what effects did Moses' intercessory prayer have? What effects? Well, the psalmist writes in Psalms 106, verse 23. We read it in Exodus, but listen to how the psalmist puts it. Psalm 106, verse 23, the effects of Moses' intercessory prayer. Therefore, he said he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. Wow. 
I love this insight from Pastor Brent McPhail. We'll put it up on the screen for you. Since God has begun this work in the Philippians, Paul is convinced that God will finish the job. And Paul wisely recognizes the role of prayer in this process. While Paul knows that it is God's will for Christians to grow and mature in their faith, he also knows that the trigger for God's will is prayer. The Puritan Thomas Watson reminds us of this truth when he, when he comments on Acts chapter 12, saying that indeed it was the angel that fetched Peter out of prison, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. Amen. There's power in intercessory prayer. And Paul, brothers and sisters, was confident of the growth of the Christians in Philippi. Listen, he was confident of the growth. He knew that God was going to finish what he started. You know why? Because he was praying for them. He was praying for them. He was standing in the gap for them. And he knew that what God started, he was going to finish. Let me ask you this morning. Are you confident that God is working in others because you are standing in the gap for them? How about the leaders of Midwest Bible Church? And I'm preaching to myself this morning. Can we say like Paul that we are confident that God is at work at Midwest Bible Church because of our spirit-filled prayers? You know, when you're praying in the spirit, you have this confidence and this faith. God is going to do it. Amen? God is going to do it. Can we say like Paul that we are confident that God is at work in the lives of others because of our spirit-filled prayers. This leads us to our final point of what spirit-filled intercession looks like. Spirit-filled intercession, brother, seeks, brothers and sisters, seeks the provision in God. What motivated Paul to, to pray the way he did? What motivated, him, what motivated him to pray the way he did was such joyful feeling frequency, and faith on behalf of the Philippian believers. What motivated that? Listen to what Paul writes, beginning in verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you, about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the, def and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affections of Christ Jesus. Can I tell you, brothers and sisters, and I say this humbly, and I say this having to hold back tears. There are people that God has put in my life that, like Paul, hold me in their hearts. They care for me. They love me. I'm not just talking about my wife and my sons, but brothers and sisters in Christ, and even people that I've never met that have written me letters from different parts of the country telling me how much they pray for me and love me. I haven't even met them. 
They have deep affection for me. And the result is, listen, and the result is that they pray with me. They pray for me with, with great feeling and fervency and faith. And can I tell you, I, I don't deserve such love. And this is how I view their prayers. They're, they're an act of love. Uh, initially, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to uh, read a letter, but, but I, I, did, I decided not to. But you know that, that I received letters from inmates in prisons across Illinois expressing their love for me. I'm a retired police officer. I'm getting letters from inmates. Pastor Marco, we know your testimony. We know your love for Jesus, and we want you to know that we are praying. They said, we are praying for you here in Dixon Prison. Ah. I have letters like that in my drawer upstairs. Where is this love and deep affection coming from? Why did Paul feel such love and affection for the Philippians as they, for him, Paul wrote for you, listen, he wrote, for you are all partakers with me of grace. When you, when you know the grace of God in Christ, which transforms sinners into saints, when you know what the grace of God can do, you will love well and you will pray well. Amen. You will, listen, you will pray with fervency and you will love others with fervency when you know the grace of God, when you know what the grace of God has done in your life, when you know what the grace of God can do in the lives of others. Can we put our hands together this morning? Paul knew what the grace of God did in his life and in the Philippians' lives. He had a front row seat, and that grace, listen, not only caused him to feel the way, he, the way that he did about them, but to pray the way he did for them. How many of you know, how many of you know this morning what the grace of God can do from personal experience? Amen. Praise God. If we truly know what grace can do from personal experience, like Paul, we will be driven to pray the way he prayed and for what he prayed for. What did Paul pray for? I'm behind. And in believers, let's read it, beginning in verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and and all this sermon, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and, and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruits of righteousness that, that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You know, if you read the epistles of Paul, you will find this common prayer of his, namely that churches, that churches would increase and, and abound in love more and more. And the reason he prayed for, for love can't be made any clearer in the New Testament. How many of you know that if we're going to make a difference for Christ in the world, we must be overflowing possessors of what possessed Jesus 
to go to the cross to save sinners, namely love. Amen. If we're going to make a difference for Christ, the love of Christ needs to be overflowing in our lives to one another. And one way that that manifests itself is in devotion to intercessory prayer. Man, if we believe that God answers prayer, and, that, and that if we understand what the grace of God can do, and we love people, won't we pray for them? Amen. Labor in prayer for them. Notice also that Paul writes that he prays for their love to abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Brothers and sisters, our love as believers will not grow and will not lead to live, a, will not lead us to live a fruitful life that glorifies God and li- unless it is fueled by growing and intimate knowledge of God. You know, there's a lot of churches that preach about the love of God, that talk about the love of God. But can I tell you this morning, it's not the love of God revealed in scriptures. Some people use God is love as a justification to, 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 as a justification for their sinful behavior. If you ever heard that, say amen this morning. Well, pastor, you know, we're not married. We're living together. We're not married, but you know what? We love each other. And after all, God is love. You ever heard something like that before? I mean, you know, that's a distorted view of God's love. If you understood God's love, you would know that his will for your life is what's best for you. And you would want, you want to do his will. Amen. You want to do his will. You want to live the way he wants you to live because you know that's the best way to live because he loves you. And he knows what's best. And he demonstrated that love when he sent Jesus to the cross to save sinners, not when we were at our best, but when we were at our worst. Can I get a witness this morning? Knowledge and discernment. Brothers and sisters, knowledge and discernment are the the guardrails for our love for one another. This is, listen, this is, this, this love that Paul is praying for, this love is not a blind love but a love that is committed to others with insight and discernment for what they really need. Can I get a witness this morning? You know, I'm not going to preach the word of God based on, you know what, what do people want to hear? I don't want to offend anybody. So let me just preach what, Am I loving you if I do that? I mean, you know, I'm loving you if I preach the truth, amen, from the word of God. Someone said that a preacher, his job is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable, amen. Somebody that loves you will tell you the truth, but they'll tell you the truth in love. They're not going to just tell you the truth because they want to put you in the, your place. They want to tell you the truth because they love you. Amen? Because they love you. Knowledge and discernment are the guardrails for our love for one another. This is not a blind love, but a love that is committed to others with insight and discernment for what they really need. The reason Paul is praying that believers abound in love with the guardrails of knowledge and discernment 
is so that we may be able to approve, he says, what is excellent. How many of you know we make decisions every day and some decisions are good and others are, are a little better, but only some are excellent. And excellent choices, listen, are, are those choices that we make that bring glory to God and, and accomplish his mission in the world. And we're only going to be concerned about that when we're growing and abounding in love. And this is the fruit of love is that, that we can approve us what is excellent. We make choices and we want to make the best choices, not just choices that are convenient for us, amen, but that will bring glory to God and will accomplish his mission in our lives. Somebody say amen. And the result of this is that we will be pure and blameless. In other words, that our testimonies will bring glory to God uh, in our circle of influence and the lives of those who are, are watching us. And as Paul reveals in his prayer, as Paul reveals in his prayer, the culmination of the work of God in our lives will come when believers will one day gather before Christ and, and give an account to him for their lives. Paul's prayer was that, listen, that on that day, they would have lived a life filled with the fruits of righteousness. How many of you want to have that testimony on that day when Jesus returns? This life, brothers and sisters, can only come about through our growing love relationship with Christ, which is what Paul was praying for, and that's what's going to bring glory and praise to God as Paul ends his prayer. How many of you want to one day, Jesus is coming again, amen? One day we're going to stand before him as believers. And how many of you are, want to hear on that day, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Are you guys tired of seeing my, my, my vocals? Okay. <laughs> Thank you, honey. How many of you want to hear that? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Can I tell you something? No one will stand before Christ and hear well done, thou good and faithful servant that was not a believer that was devoted to prayer. Amen. Amen. Praise God. In light of all that God has done for me and answered the prayer, brothers and sisters, God has done so much in my life in answer to the prayers of many. I can write. I need to write a book about it, and I plan to write a book about it. I'm so humbled, and I'm so grateful because I know that where I am, I know that I am where I am today, standing here preaching the word of God because of the prayers of many. Because of, I know it. Well, listen, listen, in light of all that God has done for me and answered the prayer, and answered the prayers of many, I've asked myself recently, how much time do I spend laboring in prayer for others? And I must confess that I can't say that I labor in prayer for others as much as I know that others labor in prayer for me. And I want this to change in my life by the grace of God. You know that Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, who was helped by the prayers of many, expresses the same sentiments as we come to a close. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. Brethren, I have to exhort you to pray for others. Before I do it, I will ask you 
a personal question. Do you always pray for others? Guilty or not guilty here? Do you think you have taken the, the case of your children, your church, your neighborhoods, and the ungodly world before God as you ought to have done? If you have, I have not. For I stand here a chief culprit before the master to make confession of the sin. And while I exhort you to practice what is undoubtedly a noble privilege, I shall be most of all exhorting myself. And brothers and sisters, as Obi comes and the worship team comes, I want to exhort us, exhort us this morning to seek the grace of God to be men and women of prayer. That God would give us the grace, that, oh, brothers and sisters, that God would give us the grace to intercede for one another. Amen? To intercede for one another. Every head bowed it and every eye closed. Let's get ready to respond to the Lord. I said in the beginning of the message that I, I didn't just want to preach on prayer. Let's practice it this morning. Amen. If you heard from God this morning, if God revealed himself to you, if you've learned something about intercessory prayer and the power of intercessory prayer, the importance of, the importance of standing in the gap like Moses stood in the gap for the people of God, and, and, and the power of that prayer. Let's stand in the gap this morning. I want to ask that you come to, this, to these steps and pray this morning. Maybe you need to pray for yourself. Maybe you need to pray for someone else. But let's take some time this morning to pray, to intercede. In prayer, let's respond to God. Let's, let's start with thanking God for all he's done in our lives. Amen. By his grace. How many of you are thankful for the grace of God? Would you come and, and to these steps and pray or stand up here? And as you come, you're identifying that, that you need prayer. And I want to pray for you and others as you come, I'm going to pray for you. Let's thank God. Let's, let's start with praise and thanksgiving to God. And then let's stand on the promises of God. Let's claim the promises of God in prayer this morning for each other. And then let's seek the provision that's in God. Let's pray for the spiritual growth of this church. Amen. Years ago, God started a great work at Midwest Bible Church that has impacted the city and has impacted the world. And that work continues. And let's pray that we will see God doing in our church and through our church things that we've never had for the sake of the gospel. Can I get a witness this morning? And maybe you need to come and pray for a loved one. You know how that church started in Philippi? The first convert was a woman who, who worshipped God, but she didn't know Christ. And the Bible says that the Lord opened her heart to receive the gospel. And maybe you have a loved one that has a hard heart right now.
Can I tell you? Intercessory prayer. There's power in intercessory prayer to soften a hard heart. Can I get a witness this morning? And maybe we need to pray this morning for God to open up hearts. Would you come? Would you come and, and meet me at these steps here and pray for our church and pray for others as the Lord leads you, as the Holy Spirit puts people in your heart? Father, help us to respond right now. God, stir in us, stir in us a heart to pray, God, like we've never did because of who you are, because of what you promised to do, because of the love of Christ, because we're convinced, oh, Lord, we're convinced that your grace has, has done great things in our lives and is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Lord, stir up a heart in us to pray, Father, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. And as God leads you, would you come?